Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Uh, I do not believe that CTBK will be contacted anytime soon to help uh, broker a merger and or acquisition of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, a very, well, uh, interesting rumor being floated or a bad scoop or however it happened. I don't know. I don't, I, I'd have to get inside the mind of, uh, and the sources of, uh, of Frank Wolf who tweeted it, but you know, Frank Wolf is a local journalist, mostly, uh, well, entirely covers, uh, high school sports. Um, and, uh, he covers the Sabres too. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't, uh, Western New York, what do you know, Jonah? I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know it off the top of my head, but his organization that does high school sports is Western New York sports. Is that all it's called? Is that the name of it? Western New York athletics, Western New York athletics. West, okay. There's a website and yeah. website. right. Okay. And they do a good job with that in a lot of ways. Right. So he is enough of a journalist uh, and that I would think well, he may have I sources. I would call him a journalist and I, and I, publisher. I know Frank, I, I like him personally in some ways, but I would, yes, I would call him a media personality and more, I wouldn't call him a media executive, but he is on the business side of Got it. West New York athletics, but okay. also the reporting. Side. But I what I guess, and not to completely knock him, but I wouldn't call Frank Wolf a journalist. And if Frank Wolf called himself a journalist, I would argue with him about that. So I see if he's going to report something of this magnitude and somebody said, according to Frank Wolf, I would say, you know, uh, you know, according to your drunk uncle is about <laughs> as reliable a source on that type of thing. Okay. So let me set, let me just set the scene here for the people who are listening. So Frank Wolf though, in my mind, when I see him tweet out that the, that the say that the Pagulas are sending out non-disclosure agreements to prospective owners, uh, you know, people who want to buy the Sabres, it was his report, essentially I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and then he says, he's hearing this from multiple sources. All right. So because of Frank Wolf's connection with Western New York athletics, the publication slash the outlet, um, I think mm -hmm. it's possible that he may have made a connection here or there, you know, somebody who's involved with local sports, somebody at the college level or whatever it's possible. So I didn't dismiss it. But I didn't know. I'll tell you, I, I think so for I, sure. I actually think there's smoke. There's some smoke to this fire because Western York Athletics works very closely with Section Six Sports, Section Six Hockey, and Harvard right, well, let, Center. Before, wait, before you get into the explanation, okay. let me let me just sum it up so that way. So it caused me to reach out to my sources with Pagula Sports and Entertainment to say, is there any truth to this? In which it was immediately and very forcefully refuted, and in fact, they're very upset about it. Um, no NDAs have been sent out for. To, buy, to sell the Sabres, or, and then there was a thing where people were saying, well, maybe it's a Tobias portion of the Sabres. I was able to at least get feedback that not even a percentage of the Sabres are being sold. The Pagulas aren't selling. They're not interested in selling. Um, and so I tweeted that out. I didn't think it was worth a story to write about one person's tweet about it. You know, I just not, you know, I batted it down. Um, but anyway, that's why it, it became a thing today and so Joan okay so then this is where Jonah you go now you now if you can fill in you know 
No, I was just going to say, I do, I, I wouldn't say Frank is making this up out of whole cloth. No. I would, Frank Wolf, I would say that he heard something and probably in some ways misinterpreted, didn't uh, do the necessary verification and, you know, what a journalist would do before going to Twitter with some sort of rumor like this. But I don't think that he came up with this in a dream. I do think somebody told him something that leads him to think something is for sale and maybe something is for sale and it got misinterpreted as that being the Sabres franchise itself when it might be a different property that the Pugula's own. Yeah. So that was a little bit of journalism, how the sausage is made uh, kind of uh, Thursday afternoon. But the Sabres bring this on themselves by credentialing Frank Wolf and from the 300 level.com. And I don't think if, uh, that was the case. That wasn't the case. I don't think he'd be reporting rumors on the Sabres or other people wouldn't be in paying any attention to the rumors that he's reporting about the Sabres. I feel like well, people would pay attention. That's part of the problem is, is how information travels. Um, I think you're right, Jonah, that it lends a little more credibility to it because he has a credential and because he's been around the team. But people really wanted to believe this rumor today, I think was part of the problem. Right. So yeah. if there's right. information out there that they want to believe that, that they're going to take the the slightest bit of credibility and say, well, this guy knows. And they and want kinda... it to be true. You're right. And uh, I once I've said this line so many times on the podcast, on the radio show, I once had a boxing promoter say this to me uh, years ago and I rolled my eyes. I was like, that's not true. But then as I lived my life, I found out that that was uh, words of wisdom he said, Tim, sometimes people want to be lied to. And I was like, come on, that's a stupid thing to say, but you're right. And I think that that's exactly what you're getting at, Matthew, in that um, people got excited. And even after I knocked down and said, this is 100% false, John Warrow added some tidbits to it. I added yet some more tidbits to it. So there was like a, all kinds of, this is kind of, impo this isn't true. And one of the responses I got from a, a follower on Twitter was, I guess we'll see. <laughs> it's like, because he needs to believe it. Like I, I got so excited and I want to hold on to this excitement that the Pagulas might be selling the team that I'm just going to dismiss the fact that it's not true. And well, that uh, was the, a few of the responses I saw were, well, yeah, that's, that's why they call them NDAs. Right. You know, if it, right. like, so that this stuff doesn't get out there. And Hey, I mean, like Jonah said, something you know it didn't come to to frank wolf in a dream something somewhere you know and look if the team wasn't so bad and if they weren't you know i mean bad doesn't really begin to describe the franchise it's embarrassing what it's become then you know this type of stuff and if they were out in front more if they spoke more and were more clear about what they were doing how involved they were x y and z i think a lot of this stuff would you know, you would prevent some of this stuff from happening. Um, but yeah, people want to believe it. So they'll take, they'll take whatever. And they're not going to, they're going to probably say, oh, well, Tim's sources at, at PSE have forcefully refuted this. That's what they want us to think, you know, until, until that moment comes, but true enough, but I don't know that it's even, they bought them pretty recently. So I don't know that it's a, uh, they're they're kind of tangled up. It's a little bit compli more complicated than going on Facebook Marketplace and listing some old golf clubs. I'd also say be careful what you wish for. If you're a Buffalo Sabres fan and you're hoping that this 
stable, somewhat locally based or locally based ownership group sells the franchise because it doesn't necessarily mean that the next owner is going to be what you want it to be. Or even keep the team here. Right. Or be willing to pay the money that the Pagula family has so far been willing to pay uh, into this franchise to no good effect so far. But, you know, that, that's better than certain situations the Buffalo Sabres were in with previous ownership. Yeah, it's very interesting Thursday on something that I normally wouldn't even take seriously. Um, but there was just enough of potential and you don't want it. It's a huge story if it's true. Um, so I had to check and uh, the response I got was, uh, was that, um, the people who I checked in with regarding this were glad to hear from me because they were frustrated as hell that, uh, that this stuff's out there, you know? And I think too, that, you know, they sold seven, one, six, which is not that huge of a deal, but people see that they see what's going on with the Sabres. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are kicking, who would are kicking the tires. Uh, I think the Pagulas are fielding calls. Uh, hey, are you for sale? Or I would like to buy you. And they're given the Heisman stiff arm. Um, and they're keep telling people they're not interested. Um, but things like these rumors don't help. So um, we have Zach Moss. Uh, on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. And um, without further ado, I think we're going to get to him. Um, is there more ado? Is there anything to to ado? Jonah's shirt, I think, is it? Oh, I, I did notice. <laughs> can you, can I just, you guys read that? I know. I noticed it when we started the segment, and I thought I'd get back to it, and then I almost just totally forgot. It. It, it is. Uh, did you have that made? No, I didn't. I got it free with my subscription. No, I bought it. Um, <laughs> I saw it somewhere and I thought it would be funny to wear on this podcast. And I also like to wear it to the gym because at CrossFit, that's the whole thing. They're like, everybody's an athlete. So this is kind of my cynical response to. For those who are listening and not watching, it is, out. it looks like, uh, you know, the athletic who uh, I and Matthew Fairburn work for sends out swag a lot and they'll give out t-shirts with subscriptions and things. And Jonah is wearing a uh, replica that says unathletic, unathletic, unathletic. That's right. I have have to distinguish that. I don't write for the athletic like you guys do. And (laughs) visually the, the eye and the ear can't be in competition. We have to show the viewers the same things that they're hearing. All right. Uh, well, I'm glad we got that straightened out. And we got to talk about uh, how rumors get started um, that little bit and how uh, journalists sometimes have to spend a waste a lot of time uh, ferreting out information uh, that is uh, not newsworthy. So, I mean, did I wake up today thinking that it was going to be newsworthy to say the Sabres are not for sale? Uh, that should not be newsworthy. But today it was. Uh, okay. Zach Moss, right after this. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, 
CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Joining Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK is Bill's running back, Zach Moss. Zach, thanks for joining the podcast. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, a great uh, story that Matthew Fairburn did uh, on, on you in The Athletic and covered a lot of your background, uh, got into uh, your high school days, what made you who you were, the switch from linebacker uh, to focus on being a, a running back at college and in the NFL and it just uh, an incredible journey. And, um, and here you are uh, trying to recover uh, from uh, yet another injury heading into 2021. Um, let's just get a snapshot of, of Zach Moss. He's got a season under his belt. He's not a rookie anymore. Um, where's your mind at right now, getting ready for your first full NFL off season? Uh, I'm in a good spot, man, you know, with everything going on in the world and personally that's, uh, you know, that I've endured and things like that. Um, I'm in a really good spot right now. I'm just, you know, happy to be alive and, you know, being able to continue to get better at my craft and in my health wise and things like that. So I'm just ready, really to get back out there and, you know, fully, you know, have a great season and, you know, go out there without having any injuries. Zach, I know you've, You've had experience rehabbing and stuff like that before, but what's it been like now that you have the access to the facilities that you have? Uh, I know you're you're hanging out here in, in Western New York to, to get your work done, and a lot was made when they built that facility and brought in a lot of those things. What was your experience with it your first year, maintenance-wise, you know, going through it as a rookie and then, you know, getting to use some of the rehab stuff? Uh, yeah, it was really, really good to have so many resources right there at our fingertips. Um, you know, I, in college, I had a lot of similar things. Um, but, you know, when you get to this level, you have people who are, you know, a little bit well, more rounded in their in their profession. And, you know, they can give you more tips and things like that to help you um, learn new things about your body and help you with corrective things. Little, all the type of little small things that really go, um, you know, far a far distance for you and your health and, you know, in this league. And they understand that, you know, you have to be healthy to last in this league and being available is the best type of uh, player you can be. What did you take away most from your rookie year transitioning to the NFL, uh, playing 16 games for the first time? Obviously not the way, um, you know, anybody wanted the season to go in terms of just COVID and everything else, but what did you learn the most making that jump? Um, I probably would say, you know, how to be a professional each and every day, day in, day out, um, week in, week out. It's, it's like, you know, it's like an interview each and every day, you know, you can't have, um, you know, really like a bad day. Um, you got to be able to perform through everything. You know, you got to leave all your personal things at home. Um, no one's going to be holding your hand, telling you to do this, be here, do those type of things. You know, you have to be very, very accountable of yourself. Um, and luckily for me, you know, coming from Utah, they did a really good job of 
um, you know, installing that in us. And, you know, I was able to really transition uh, fairly well, I thought, um, from college to the league and, you know, all those different things, um, you know, kind of being your own person, your own man um, in a business. What about uh, game planning? To go from a position at Utah where you were a nucleus of that offense to transitioning into the NFL, sharing time, which mm-hmm. is one thing, but then on an offense that really was, was very predicated on the pass. Uh, how does that, how do you have to rewire your brain to whether it be practice to practice or the, the game, the weekly game plan uh, and trying to figure out how, how much you were going to get used every week? Yeah. is that, that part was, you know, very, it was kind of like interchangeable parts. You know, you just never knew uh, week in, week out what, you know, what was kind of going to happen. Um, and that's the league, honestly, man. I think you can't really pick any team that you just know, besides a few teams that you just know, all right, this is their identity. This is what they're going to do. Um, you know, we change week to week from the teams and the guys who are playing. Um, so, you know, that was a thing that helped us a lot this season, helped us have a lot of success. But, um, you know, I've been in the, in the system where, you know, it was kind of pass first. Um, I played in that in high school um, and then a bit in college and things like that, you know, and I've worked so hard to, you know, kind of want to be that focal point um, on offense. So, you know, you know, being a rookie um, and, you know, coming from college where I was, you know, one, like you said, like one of those focal points on the team, um, coming here, having to share time. Uh, it was all like a learning experience for me. It helped me grow, I think, a little bit more than I would have if, you know, say I was just the number one guy. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of learning experiences through this first season and it was really, it was a lot of good and some bad. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I learned a lot and, you know, hopefully that's able to, you know, catapult me over to season two. Um, and, you know, I'm able to do a lot more things in the offense. Where's the line between sharing a role in the backfield and uh, being a good teammate? And you see it with all kinds of sports, you know. Uh, in hockey, maybe there's a team that alternates its goalies a little bit more frequently. Mm. But there's also you didn't get to where you are if you didn't want to be the man. What's the fine line as you're and, I, and granted, you're only entering your second NFL season and maybe it's still something that needs to be learned. But where's, where's that fine line between being a team player, but also not being happy um, because it is also good for your team to push and to try to make everybody better? Yeah, I mean, you know, we did a really good job of doing that each and each and every week. You know, me and Motor definitely just push each other, you know, being from the same uh, hometown and knowing each other for a while and things like that. So we always kept pushing each other day in, day out in practice um, and things like that. But, you know, like you said, like it's, it's definitely is a fine line where you want to be that guy. You know, everybody, you're alpha male in this league. You know, you don't get here without being alpha. You, you want to be that number one person. Um, but, you know, I think it was a bit easier for me to – you know, kind of be okay in the role um, and, you know, just do everything I possibly could when my number was called to help the team get to where we got to. Um, Because I was a rookie being my first year in, you know, learning the ropes, learning things and kind of seeing how things go. Um, I think if you are a guy who's year six in the league or something like that, when you kind of know how this league works, you definitely don't probably don't want to be a role player or in that certain role and things like that. But for me, it was a little bit easier to kind of, it helped me, like I said, help me grow um, and understand things and see things from different perspectives. You know, I was, I played where I started a game and then I was mostly definitely the backup 
for the most of the year. So I also got to see things through that lens as well. Um, so, you know, like I said, like hopefully all those things, all those different tools that I learned throughout this, uh, my first season can help, you know, catapult me into year two where, you know, you know, I just do I go out there and, you know, give everything I got. What did you, you know, when we spoke a few weeks ago, you, you talked about pass protection and I find that to be an interesting element for rookie running backs. It's a big part of getting on the field and maybe not, you know, something that people don't realize is a big part of the transition. What is it about that part, recognizing blitzes, pass protection that maybe you learned and, and kind of grew in as your rookie year went along? Um, I mean, pass protection for me has always been something, you know, that was very, very important since probably my sophomore year in college. You know, once my college coach got to Utah, um, my running back coach there, Coach McDonald, once he got there, you know, that was one of the first things he installed. And that's one of the things he harped on more than the run game. You know, anybody can run the ball. You know, anybody can get five, six yards and things like that. But it's very hard to find someone who consistently wants to stick their nose and pick uh, and blitz pickups, understand blitz pickups, understand rushers and get down with that dirty work and continuously do that. You know what I mean? Um, so for me, that was very important. And I knew me and him had many conversations of, how this would part would be very important for me get, playing in the league uh, for one to get here. And then to also stay in this league, you know, it's a, it's a quarterback's league. It's a very, the league has changed where it passed the ball a lot. Um, so when you got a guy like Josh um, and all these other great quarterbacks in the league, you know, you got to keep these guys clean, you know, it's, it's very important. You're kind of like part of the office line. Um, so you got to keep him clean and keep him healthy as much as you can. And you got to be able to put your body on the line for a guy like that to help win games and, it's about being a great teammate. Um, so, you know, I took a lot of pride in that, and I always wanted to make sure that I kept Josh as clean as I possibly could. Um, you know, I didn't want to give up any sacks and hurry plays and things like that. And, you know, that's one of my biggest things when I go into a game is just to go out there and make sure that I'm 100% on my, uh, on my assignments. Zach, I was thinking about the contrast from the season before uh, Devin Singletary was a rookie running back with a Hall of Fame veteran, Frank Gore, uh, helping to guide him. What was it like for you having somebody more closer to your age, more of a peer as a veteran helping you along? And, and was there any wisdom that was passed down from Frank to Devin uh, onto you this season? Yeah, definitely. You know, he just, Devin did a good job of, you know, letting me know how this kind of, how the league works, um, you know, and just keeping my head, you know, leveled when, you know, when I had bad days or a bad game or, you know, if I didn't perform to the level I wanted to or, didn't get a lot of carries this game or touches, whatever it may be, you know, we did a good job of just, you know, being there for each other and just, you know, making sure that we knew that, Hey, whatever is whatever, you know, as long as we went in and, you know, whatever our number does get called, you know, we got to make sure we show up and um, do the things that we need to be able to do. And, you know, I think definitely some of that came from Frank, um, him being in the league for so long, he's seen a lot of things. Um, and Devin was definitely lucky to be able to, uh, you know, play with a guy like that for one year. So um, we, we did a good job, I think, of just being consistent backs over the year, no matter what was going on in, you know, the, the news or anything like that. We just made sure we did our job to the best of our abilities. You know, it's funny. I was going to ask you a Frank Gore question um, because you being from South Florida and Frank being such a legend, uh, mm -hmm. both as a high school and college running back uh, down in South Florida. But uh, you, when he turned pro, 
you were seven years old. Do you even have any recollection of Frank Gore as a Miami hurricane or, I mean, I know you've heard, you've heard the stories and everything. You can't be mm -hmm. a running back from South Florida and not, but you know, you missed out on this legend and yet maybe you're so young and he's played for so long that it's, it's, you're, it's, you're not even of the same generation. It's, it's hard to imagine you guys being peers. Yeah. It's literally like two generations. there, probably <laughs> two. Yeah, you're right. His, well, his but, son is about to enter the NFL, right? Yeah, like, no, he's – everyone knows Frank down there in Miami, man. You – like, even if you don't play football, you know Frank Gore. You know a lot of those legends that played at the University of Miami um, and things like that. So, you know, I've watched a lot of Frank Gore tape from San Fran days, indie days, from college days and things like that. I've watched a lot of his tape before, um, you know. So I knew exactly who he was. I know exactly how big of a legend he is. Um, in this league and back home and things like that. So just to be able to, when we played the Jets um, twice, I was able to meet him both times. So that was, you know, just kind of shocking to me just to be able to be on the same field. Um, and then he also gave me a few, you know, little tips and things like that to, you know, help me enhance my game and things like that. So, you know, it was really, really, uh, you know, a blessing to be on the same field as that guy. Did you have any hype? Uh, videos that you'd watch or guys because you can get it so many different places on YouTube, but uh, younger, or maybe even now that you're still in the NFL, are, do there, are there, is there video you like to watch that gets you worked up? Uh, the one that I always make sure I watch and I start watching a few different guys, you know, I, I like a lot of backs um, in college now in the league now and things like that. But I think the one that always hits me the hardest, hits me home, is the Marshawn Lynch one that I first started watching. Um, when I first started playing running back back in high school, you know, I would watch his his uh, highlight takes from uh, Seattle um, before games in high school. I would do it in college, and I'm and I still did it. You know, my first year in the league, and you know, being at the team where he first stepped into the league as well um, is kind of surreal when you kind of you know wrap your head around everything like that, but. You know, Marshawn is definitely a guy that I always uh, make sure I watch uh, before game day. How much do you think growing up where you grew up and, as Tim mentioned, kind of being su surrounded by a lot of good running backs, you know, past and present, how much mm -hmm. do you think that that drove you to get to this point, the fact that you're able to come out of that area as a running back and, and do what you've done, how much did that mold you? Uh, I, I definitely think it played a part. Yeah, I can't really say, you know, give like a percentage on how much it helped and things like that. But when you have a chance to just go on YouTube and you can search up guys that play right in your back, your back, uh, back of the yard, you know, it, it definitely goes a long way because you feel as a kid, as a kid growing up and things like that, that, hey, these guys did it from being right here. Why can't I also do that? You know what I mean? So you know, it kind of sparks you to also want to continue a trend in a way, even if you don't know these guys, you kind of continue a trend of backs, players coming out of South Florida. Um, you know, we take a lot of pride in football down there. And, you know, we love when people, uh, you know, kind of debate about who's who has the best uh, football players. It's Texas, California, things like that. Um, and we love to say it's South Florida and things like that. So, you know, being a part of that, that uh, tradition and things like that um, definitely, definitely one uh, motivated me a bit. Also a part of the Utah Ute family, uh, since we're talking about guys and legends that you've met, uh, have you ever gotten to meet Chris Fuamatu Ma'afala? I haven't. Okay. 
because my next question was going to be, can you spell Fuamatu Ma'afala? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I used to be able to back when I back when I wrote about that conference. Anyway, he was a lot of fun to watch. Did, did you ever? He, does he ever come up at Utah? I mean, he was he was a great running back there. Uh, I'm sure he does, man. I don't I don't really if I I can't really picture his face right now and put his name to it, but I'm pretty sure, man. We had a lot of people always come back. Uh, Steve Smiths came back to the school a few times and, you know, even Urban Meyer came back one time uh, while I was there. So, you know, a lot of people who come through Utah, they always, you know, come back and, you know, show appreciation and things like that. So that was pretty cool just seeing certain people come through back. That was unfair of me to put you on the spot with uh, <laughs> with a name that not only has probably I might have, you know, 12 different letters and punctuation in there. There's dashes. There's an accent mark. It, it wasn't fair. I'm sorry. <laughs> you good. <laughs> Zach, I think uh, – tell the, the story of how you ended up at Utah. I think it's so interesting how we talk about Frank Gore. We talk about, you know, all these South Florida backs and the University of Miami's right in your backyard. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed hearing, you know, how you ended up at Utah. I mean, what what drove that decision and, and how was your experience out there? Yeah, so, I mean, me picking Utah – was kind of a long shot kind of thing. You know, it wasn't something that I planned or I just knew. Um, you know, I was committed to the University of Miami at first. Um, I think my junior year of high school, I received the offer from there and I instantly committed, right? You're from Miami. You, I have cousins that went there. I have family that went there and all this type of stuff. Um, you know, and they were kind of trying to make that comeback kind of thing at the moment and things like that. So, you know, it was a perfect time to buy in. And it was so many players from that I knew from high schools around that was also going there. Um, you know, I count on my hands how many times I went down there a week because um, it's just so close. Um, but, you know, once the season played through, my senior season played through, um, and I just kind of had a chance to figure out what I wanted to do again, I kind of really felt like Miami wasn't the place where I wanted to be. Um, just, you know, I wanted to go somewhere where I could kind of just grow by myself, kind of mature uh, as a young man by myself. You know, I have my, I can have my mom, my dad, my brothers, sisters, aunties, cousins, literally everybody um, at my fingertips if I went to the University of Miami, right? So if I went through something at the University of Miami, I wouldn't have had a chance to really go through it by myself. You know, I would always have someone to, you know, have their hand out or fall back on. Um, and I didn't want that to, you know, be a part of me you know I wanted to go somewhere where I kind of had to go through things by myself um, and you know it came down to Utah or Tennessee and my mom wanted me to go to Tennessee if I wasn't going to Miami so she was like all right well Tennessee's close enough I can get there and you know come up there a lot and you know I, I thought about going there one of my cousins went there and I was like man this is you know it's an SEC school it's a very very story uh, program and things like that and you know at the time they had Alvin Camaro, they had a few guys, um, NFL guys. And, you know, I thought about that very, very uh, hard. And I think the reason that I know, well, I know the reason I picked Utah was because, um, for one, I realized I can come in there and I can play right away. You know, the coaches talked to me and they let me know, hey, well, playing time will be something that if you come in, you learn the playbook, things like that, you can come in and, you know, show what you got. Um, and two of my teammates from high school, our quarterback who uh, was at Utah 
and uh, one of our receivers, Damari Simpkins and Tyler Hunley, they both went out to Utah uh, as early enrollees. And they would just tell me about it and how much they liked it and how different it was and things like that. And I was like, okay. So I ended up going out there for uh, official visit. And to this day, I can't remember much about the visit because <laughs> it was in January, it was cold, it was snowing and it was all that type of stuff. But the only thing I remember was going snowmobiling and how fun that was and being around the program, being around the players, you know, I felt like I can be myself uh, there at the same time, you know, and that was one of the biggest things for me. I didn't want to have to feel like I had to fit in somewhere uh, to coaches, to players, you know, if I'm going to be somewhere for four years. Um, and Utah just felt like the perfect place. I already knew two people there. There was some few more guys from South Florida that was up there already um, that I also knew. So that just felt like it was the perfect place. Um, and, you know, and, you know, you can't write a better story on how everything just kind of played out for myself, um, to, you know, in my time there. I saw in your uh, bio in the Buffalo Bills media guide that you enjoy mountain climbing, mm. which is something you can't do in the state of Florida. Um, <laughs> the highest uh, point is probably on a golf course somewhere near the panhandle. Um, <laughs> tell me, and I don't know what this is, but I, I feel like there might be something. Tell me about the very first time, what went into you, like what got into you and what the experience was like when somebody talked you into going mountain climbing. So it wasn't really mountain climbing. It was more of like, you know, doing trails kind of up mountains and, you know, kind of doing that type of thing. Mountain um, hiking. Probably, yeah, more like that. Um, so I, I've done, I did that a few times, various places uh, in Utah um, while I was there. Um, and then, you know, there's just something where you can go, oh, you can clear your mind. You, you know, sometimes I went by myself, you know, and I can just clear my mind. I can just take in the scenery um, and, you know, just have a chance to be grateful for, you know, life. And you could see this beautiful uh, scenery that you don't get to see in Miami. You know, you get different things everywhere you go. So Utah is one of the more uh, nicer places where you can really get a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the biggest thing for me where I wanted to just get out and try and do those things. Um, so that was, it was very fun, though. Have you gotten to do any of that in Western New York at all? Uh, I haven't because of this whole COVID thing. Um, so when we were in season, man, I was facility back home, facility back home. I didn't even want to put myself in that predicament of, you know, getting COVID or, you know, giving it to my girlfriend um, as well. So, you know, that was the biggest thing for me and just making sure that I stay healthy on that part. You know, some things that you can control, you want to be able to make sure that you control those things. Um, so I haven't, but, you know, right now, as I'm going through this whole rehab process and finally getting able to back to walking, um, you know, I definitely want to definitely uh, get out and see some new things around here for sure. Jonah, what would you recommend? You're the only native Western New Yorker on this, uh, <laughs> on this well, panel. There's people that probably know there's a lot of trails. I, and there's, I don't know them all. There's people that would be better to recommend them. I do know that there's a whole trail system and very scenic at Niagara Falls. And I've done that myself a time or two. So when you're up for it, uh, you know, physically, I think that that's a good place to start. It's not a real, there, there is some steps at certain parts, but you can go from all the way from downtown Niagara Falls all the way up to Art Park. And it's a nice hike for people from all over. Come it's good to scenery Falls too. Those trails. Okay, I got you. Letchworth Park is a, is a go-to, obviously. Have you heard people talk about Letchworth, Zach? It's, I just uh, heard about it like 
two days ago, and me and my girlfriend are actually going up there this weekend. I just couldn't remember the name of it, and I didn't want to You're say You're going this weekend? Yeah, we're going this weekend. Just, you know, go get out, take a little drive, um, you know, and see what we got there. There we go. Oh, we hit on something then. So that's yeah. – uh, I've never been. I've lived in western New York since 2000 with the exception of uh, four years in between where I was doing some other stuff, but, so, and I've never made it. And it's a regret of mine. It's one, cause it's there, I think is one of the reasons I'd say, oh, I'll go next week or I'll go next month, yeah. and, but you, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I think, yeah. although it's tricky, bills might want you to sign a waiver before you got to Letchworth. Oh, really? Why? I think there's some trails that are kind of tricky and don't have some guardrails that should, and you know, stay away the from one- the edge. The one to stay away from is Zor Valley. That's in the newspaper every six months or so for somebody having a bad time out at Zor Valley. All right. Where is Zor Valley? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I can look it up. <laughs> Makes on it easy to stay it's away down from. Down in the south, southern tier <laughs> area, East Aurora, maybe. Oh, yeah, I think I've, I've crossed by there. I, think. I haven't done Letchworth either, but it's supposed to be good. Uh. Zach, how, uh, beyond uh, doing some hiking around Western New York, uh, what is your mindset here for this offseason? How do you attack it? Um, and there are some, there's some unfinished business all the way around, personally, team-related. Um, I mean, there's, there's, unfin- there's all kinds of ch- – for a team that was really good, you know, there's still a lot of chips on shoulders that can be had and found and some, all kinds of ways to be motivated – uh, to make 2021 even better. Yeah, and I think that's the best thing about our team. We have so many guys, uh, you know, who have chip on their shoulders that, you know, even after the season that we just had, you know, it's so much more that we want. Um, but, you know, speaking personally for me, you know, I definitely want to make sure that I come back 100% um, and I'm able to help this team, you know, all the way through the season to get where we want to be at, you know, help improve our run game. Um, you know, that's something that I feel that we lack a lot um, to help us really get, you know, back to where we want to be this year. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, take that next step in being in the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, just everyone knows, you know, kind of what they have to do. Um, and everyone, I think, is working definitely hard to get there. Um, so that way, when the season rolls back around, you know, we're at full strength. We know what we want. We know how to get there now. And that's the thing we we went through games where we stalled a lot and, you know, we had, we went through games where we just blew the doors off of it. Um, so we kind of know our identity going into this season. And I think that's a really good thing to have um, coming back into this season and get to that AFC championship game, knowing how that, that, that game played out and how we lost that game. And, you know, we feel like we can play with anybody in this league. Uh, and, you know, that's exactly what we want to go out there and show this season and, you know, let, not, you know, come up short this time. What was your impression of playing with, with Josh Allen? Um, You know, you got to, you got here right as he, he was breaking out as a, you know, MVP candidate, uh, takes away some of your goal line carries. Uh, He's a guy that's probably a little (laughs) tricky to block for sometimes because he's moving around all, all over the place. But what was your impression of having kind of a front row seat to that this year? Yeah. I didn't know much about Josh, uh, when I first got here, um, you know, and I got a chance to meet him for the first time. I was out in California where, you know, a few of us, the rookies, we came out there. We worked out with Josh and, uh, and Mike Barkley. Um, and that first time I saw him, I just saw this big dude who wasn't, like, really defined and things like that. <laughs> but he was just super big. I was like, all right, 
this is big dude. And, you know, the way he threw a ball, the power he threw a ball, I remember the first time he threw me like a swing pass, I dropped it because I didn't know the ball was coming that hard, right? And he throws the ball super hard and fast and, you know, with a really good spiral on it without really even trying. Like, the dude is very, very, you know, naturally gifted in a lot of things that he does on the football field. Um, but, you know, playing with him this year, seeing the things that he did, seeing the numbers he put up and just seeing the leader and the warrior he is, he's really a warrior. I don't think many quarterbacks, uh, you know, get after their guys uh, and play like, you know, if he's not a quarterback, like he really plays if he's not a quarterback. He's a very physical guy. Um, and sometimes it might have like, Josh, you got to slide, bro, something. <laughs> but he's just that that's the way he plays. You know, you don't want to change the player when that's the way, you know, they are. But seeing him do the things that he did this season was just uh, it was just crazy because you as a kid and as a young player in this league, coming from college just a year removed and things like that and watching the league for so long, you see all these quarterbacks have these crazy years, these MVP years, and now being able to share a field with someone who just pretty much did that, um, it was just kind of remarkable in the things he's able to do being only his third or fourth year now. And he has so far to go. Um, and, you know, he definitely feels like he can improve um, all over. So this being his first real crazy year, I think he has a lot a lot um, of those years left in him. And, you know, it's really good for us to have a, a guy like that because, you know, that puts us up there with a lot of teams that we can, you know, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with. It's uh, strange to say, but uh, your only experience with Josh Allen is this magical year that fans in around Buffalo aren't used to. But before you arrived, there were a lot of questions about Josh. And I, I'm, my, I'm putting myself in your shoes. It's probably hard to imagine that there were question marks about a guy who played so well. But people were wondering, you know, does this guy really have it? And then, and then your experience is, what, is everybody nuts? Of course this guy has it. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's normal, though. I mean, you look at a lot of guys who are Hall of Famous, you know, even in their first two, maybe three years, it wasn't what people seen in the later parts of their career. I mean, the first guy that I could think about that comes to my mind as a quarterback was Peyton Manning. I got through like over 20 picks <laughs> in his first year. Um, so when you think about that and see the career he's had, Josh is able to, you know, do any half of that or, you know, match, match that with the athletic ability he has, you know, it's, it's really, you know, the, the sky's the limit for um, a guy like him. Um, so, you know, when people – when guys struggle in the first couple of years and things like that, um, you know, and then they go out there and do a thing like Josh just did this year, that just shows you how much the person really cares, one, um, and all the work that they've been putting in to improve and, you know, shows how much they actually love uh, the process of things that, you know, life brings you. Were you able to get a feel for, or how much were you able to get a feel for his leadership given the constraints you guys had in the locker room. Usually we get to be in the locker room and we see a little bit of how you guys are interacting, but I imagine it was a weird year for that um, with the distancing and not being able to see each other outside of the facility. How did that, how did you guys manage to build such a tight chemistry without those usual built in, um, you know, ways to do it? Uh, I think it started way back in the off season, you know, um, for one, this team had a lot of guys already that were, you know, been here for a few years and things like that. 
Um, but, you know, Josh and, you know, other guys in different parts of the team, they did a good job of just, you know, getting rookies, getting, you know, guys who are going to be, we're going to be asked to step up in the offense this year, um, getting with them and just making sure that, you know, whatever they needed, you know, a lot of things went through the Zoom calls. We had guys that weren't going to play at all stepping up and really, you know, kind of leading uh, extra meetings, um, just making sure everyone knew exactly what they had to do and, you know, so when you, when you go with all that type of stuff, um, it was kind of easier because everyone, once everyone got there, um, it felt like everyone already knew each other. You know, Josh is one of those guys where, yeah, he's the quarterback, but he doesn't make himself seem unapproachable. You know what I mean? He's going to come up to you. He's going to joke around with you. He's going to give you a nickname, give you all these different type of high fives and joke around and play around with you and just make you feel comfortable. You know what I mean? He's not going to make you feel like, oh, man, I'm in the NFL, let me really tighten down. You know, he's going to let you be loose, allow yourself to be comfortable because that's when you obviously are going to be at your best. Um, so, you know, he's not your traditional leader where he's going to give you a 10-minute speech and get loud and rowdy and fire you up and things like that. Um, but, you know, when he does say something, um, you know, you just like, all right, I'm ready to play for this guy. It's a lot different. Uh, here's a little bit of uh, obscure Bill's history for you, Zach, uh, but it sounds a lot different uh, than Jim Kelly, whose pregame routine uh, and guys weren't ready to leave the locker room until he threw up uh, because he was, he was notoriously uh, a bundle of nerves before every game, a legend that he is, you know, Hall of Fame quarterback, but he would get so worked up before games that the guys would wait. All right, there goes Jim. We can go out to the – we can take the field now. Uh, that's a little bit of a different rallying cry. Um, definitely it is. sounds like with Josh Allen. Yeah, definitely is. <laughs> um, what do you think – you mentioned uh, as a goal, as a team, to establish the run a little bit more. Uh, can you elaborate on that? What do you, what do you think needs to happen? Um, I mean, guys, this is, we just need to step up overall. Uh, and, you know, really kind of take this thing, you know, by the bullhorn and just make sure we do what we need to do uh, each and every play, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, run game is, is a tricky thing because, for one, you need to, you know, be able to be consistent at it. It's not where you can just pop runs, pop runs, and pop runs whenever you want to. You know, it's, it's a very, very consistent thing, and the carries kind of have to be there um, for guys to get in rhythm, not just the backs, but, um, people forget that the offensive line have to get into rhythms, you know, their footsteps, their hands, their hand, their, their helmet placement and things like that. All these small technical things um, that really help the backs and the run game overall. Um, so, you know, those things just we need to continue to, you know, continue to just get better at. And I think we will. You know, I think a lot of guys knew um, how big the run game was missed because the year before the previous year, the run game was a big staple. Um, in the offense, but then also, you know, when you add a guy like Diggs, it's kind of hard to, you know, sit there and run the ball because, you know, he's a very, very talented guy and things that he was able to do in his first year in the offense, you know. It's hard to so, get upset when, when everything else was working so well. Yeah, like when you, you know, if we're just sitting there throwing the ball six times and you're losing, maybe you get upset, you know what I mean? But when you're throwing the ball X amount of times and you're winning, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about being a team, you know, and once you have one selfish, selfish person in the, in, in the group, you know, that kind of just spreads around the team, you know, and that just starts to bicker and it starts this, it starts that, you know, and 
we knew what we had as a team. We knew we had a really, really special team. Um, and no one wanted to make sure that all the spotlight was on them. You know, if I got zero carries, but I helped Josh be clean in the pocket, you know, the whole game and help him throw for four or 500 yards and we won, you know, that's the biggest thing that you want to be able to do because at the end of the day, you know, stats are great and all that type of stuff, but you want to win Super Bowls. And, you know, when you have guys that are playing at this type of caliber right now, you definitely want to make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can to, you know, be a part of that team and help this team succeed. How much did that make you appreciate those games, like the Patriots game, um, the end of that Steelers game where it was like, all right, now it's on me and uh, I'm going to get the ball. Like, uh, you know, to have it be a little bit more sporadic than it was in college, how much did it make you appreciate it when it was there? Um, it definitely helped me appreciate it a lot more. Um, I mean, it was it was great. You know, it was a few games where, you know, I definitely had to close off some games um, when, you know, the offense was like, all right, here we go. Here we go. Let's just finish this game out. And, you know, and that was a chance for me to really show, you know, what I can do, um, you know, when given consistent chances and things like that. Um, so, you know, I definitely know I belong in this league and I can play in this league from things that I've done in my first year. Um, so, you know, that was big for me to go out there and help the team win those games and things like that. But, um, you know, that just gives us a stepping stone as an offense and as a running back group, uh, as a whole, knowing next year, you know, when our number is called, man, we've shown that we can do it. So let's just do it and just do it on a consistent basis. And, you know, let's pretty much make it a game where, all right, you know, we're balling so good that you kind of got to give us the ball. You got to kind of take it out of the air. You know, and that's kind of what we, um, you know, it's our mindset. What did you think about the way Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl against Kansas City, running the ball, um, and the Chiefs? I know everybody's been saying it since the end of the season. They're clearly the standard. They're what you have to shoot for. Um, to know that, and you do play the Chiefs again next year, that maybe there's a solution, and it and it might be on your. Well, I don't want to say you at the backfield because you do, you know, you are, it's a team concept, but it might be running the ball. And um, I might, you might be the key to figuring this out. Yeah. I mean, watching the Super Bowl, um, it just shows you that old school football works. Uh, you know, doesn't matter if you're in 2040, <laughs> uh, old school football works and it's always going to work. Um, when you're playing a team like the Chiefs, people like to say that, you know, they missed two offensive tackles. Um, Mahomes was injured, but every, everyone's injured at that point in the season, um, somehow, some way, you know. But, um, you know, they did it the way that you have to beat the Chiefs in the way where they throw the ball all game, right? So if you take possessions away from them and if your defense goes out there and gets you a three and out, you can't go out there and just – have another three and out and then put that type of offense right back on the field, right? You're tiring out your defense. They run a lot of vertical routes and things like that. Um, so you kind of have to play uh, football where you're helping each other. You know, if it's, it's in special teams, if it's an offense or defense, you got to help each other out. And I think the Bucks played probably the perfect game to beat the Chiefs. doesn't matter if they were at full strength or not because they ran the ball and you know, the game is won in the trenches, the office line and D-line, and, you know, they won that battle for four quarters straight. And, you know, if Mahomes had 400 yards, it kind of wouldn't have did much the way they were being so effective um, in the trenches and Fournette and Jones. And, you know, once you get the run game going, 
it makes it easy for a guy – well, it makes it easier for a guy like Brady to sit back there and just, you know, throw those little darts everywhere around the field off the play action. So, you know, like I said, old school football works, and that's kind of the way you have to play the Chiefs. You have to be physical with them and, you know, can't continue to push your defense on the field over and over and over and over um, and ask them to stop, you know, something so deadly as the Chiefs offense – Before we let you go, I wanted to give you a chance to to talk about some of the stuff that you've done in the community and um, in a weird year to do it, to get involved in your community. Um, how did you kind of settle on the things that you have? I know you're doing stuff with the Utah Food Bank and um, and the Lackawanna Life Center as well, um, you know, at a time when that type of stuff is, is needed the most uh, with what we're all going through, but also... Um, probably harder to have that, you know, personal connection that you want. Um, but yeah. what have you been able to get done since you got into the league? Um, you know, I've been able to do a lot of good things um, with a lot of good people around helping me, uh, you know, kind of guide me into these things. Uh, and, you know, that was something that I always made sure that I wanted to do. You know, I let people know, hey, this is something I want to do, you know, once things open up or if it's any type of way I can do anything, let me know. Um, and let's kind of, you know, combine and, you know, collab on things and let's work together. Um, so, you know, we was able to do a lot of good things and we're still doing a lot of good things where we're trying to continuously do something. And now, you know, kind of reaching outside of Buffalo with the Utah Food Bank. Um, and then hopefully, you know, next will be back home in Miami where I'm able to, you know, do more things with this entire, you know, COVID situation. It's been hard. Um, but the Lackawanna Life Center is something that we've been working with um, this entire uh, this past season and things like that. And um, we've been able to work with them and help them raise money for the Lackawanna Life Center, which is going to um, provide, you know, shelter, a gymnasium, um, medical staff on, on, on point there um, to help the people in that community and things like that. Um, and it's really a blessing to be able to be a part of other people who have these great, you know, ideas as well. You know, it's not just myself, you know, it's, you know, my girlfriend helps a lot with this stuff. I have a marketing team that helps a lot with this stuff and helps us find new ventures where we can, you know, step out and things like that. And um, like another thing we're doing um, is we're working with the, uh, the mayor of Buffalo with a Black History Month uh, little contest for kids uh, and things like that to just, you know, kind of reach out to them and, you know, kind of get their brains moving and things like that. So it's, it's, it's a lot of things you can do with the virtual world still. Um, it's kind of like, in a way, not an excuse for you to not kind of be doing some type of good um, when you're given the platform and you're given the opportunity to do that. When you mentioned uh, that you always knew you wanted to get involved in some way, whenever you got settled in or, started your career what was why is that what was it why was that inside you or, or what did you want what what motivated you to want to do that um I grew up in in the in a, uh, a lesser community I grew up in inner cities of Miami um and you know just seeing so many people around you struggle um you know you're being one person you can't help everyone you know what I mean you can it's different avenues where you can reach out with your hands and help people um, so that part, just growing up in inner city Miami, um, seeing people struggle, uh, you know, I knew if I was blessed to be in this position one day where I can actually, you know, make a small imprint on someone's lives, 
um, I felt like I just needed to do that. I know it would go a long way. You know, I feel like if I had someone, um, athlete or whatever it may be, a celebrity, whatever from, you know, Miami where I was able to, you know, meet them, hold a Zoom call with them, get a pair of signed gloves for doing something positive. Um, you know, I felt, I feel like that would have went a long, long way. Um, so I'm just trying to make sure that I do everything I can with all the blessings that I've been uh, stored upon me. So I make sure that I'm going out there and doing the same thing. Well, I think Lackawanna is uh, lucky to have you contributing there. And uh, Lackawanna is one of those towns, I think, that gets overlooked uh, so many times uh, because uh, with Buffalo right there, obviously the, the natural thing is to get involved in Buffalo, but there are some suburbs that, uh, that are uh, coping with, with problems and, um, they, they have to, to fight for some attention somehow. How did you get involved with what? So maybe there's a story behind that. Why, why Lackawanna? Um, so my marketing due out here in Buffalo is from Lackawanna. Um, his name is Pat Matthews. So he is the head guy at um, the marketing company called Avalon uh, Media Sports. So being able to, you know, get with him and his, his people as well, um, was very, very um, fortunate for myself to partner up with him. And, you know, we are brewing so many great ideas to continue to get, you know, from Lackawanna to different parts of, you know, the entire, you know, Western New York. We're trying to continue to find ways to do things in the safest ways right now. Um, it's a little bit easier, you know, you know, pre-COVID and things like that. But even though we're still trying to figure out ways to continue to do things. Um, and, you know, he's a great mind and he's, you know, he worked at, uh, at Buffalo, the, um, the bills for a while. So he knows, you know, the city in and out and he knows a lot of people. So, you know, I've been lucky to just, you know, have the mindset that I have and then know a guy with so many different connections, um, to go ahead now and just kind of present ourselves, um, and, you know, do, do the best that we can do. Best of luck with that. It sounds like it's working well. I appreciate it, man. Um, I guess to wrap things up, I do want to, uh, just for the listeners, and maybe for Zach's own benefits, uh, I, I have it here in front of me. Uh, Fua Matu Ma'afala is spelled F-U-A-M-A-T-U dash M-A accent mark A-F-A-L-A. That's Chris, definitely more uh, letters. <laughs> yeah, Chris, uh, Chris Fuamatu Ma'afala, which I learned how to say, and I guess it gets embedded in your brain uh, that I don't have to fight through it, uh, was uh, at Utah from 95 to 97. He left the er a year early. Uh, he was a load, six foot, 252, ended up playing with the Steelers and the Jaguars. And because I looked up his name today, I see today's his birthday. So maybe it was. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it was fate that um, that, <laughs> that uh, Chris Chris Fuamatu Maafala has uh, an imprint here in in uh, on this podcast. Uh, Zach, anything else you want to mention that we didn't ask you about? No, man. I think I'm all good, man. I definitely appreciate you guys having me on and you know giving me a chance to come on here and you know have a chance to speak with you guys for sure. Well, you're not really speaking to us, and I get that. Uh, you're speaking to the fans, um, and we're, we, uh, we're happy to be the conduit uh, to um, uh, help people find out what's up with Zach Moss. Uh, 
how he's doing, what he's thinking, and uh, we're grateful that you gave us your time. Uh, man, no, absolutely, man. All right. Take care, Zach. All right, guys. Have a good one. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions. CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. We'll